Welcome to Behind the Mic, exploring the media world in the 21st century. I'm James Marriott and I've been meeting people right across the industry to see exactly what they do, how things have changed and what they think the future might have in store, as well as their tips if you're looking to break into media. We'll have guests from the world of TV, broadcasting, news, sports and PR. My background is in print, radio and podcasting, all industries which have seen radical changes and challenges in the last decade. Today I'm going behind the mic with Andrew White, someone you'll already know if you're a keen walker. He's the main presenter of Walks Around Britain, which is now screened in countries all over the world. It's also a shining example of how to develop a brand with several strands, including its own podcast, written material, and now a new subscription video service. But for Andrew, it all started with an obsession with how TV is made when he was still at junior school. But I'll let him take up that story. It is a pleasure to welcome Andrew White. Thank you for inviting me along. So, Andrew, your website describes you as a, a writer, filmmaker and broadcaster. For anyone that doesn't kind of know what you do, just elaborate on that a little bit. Okay, well, I do, uh, I suppose I'm mostly known for presenting and producing a TV series called Walks Around Britain. I do the website around that, so all the the sort of brand extensions that went along with that. Uh, I do a lot of writing for magazines and uh, books as well, most most of which aren't out yet, but I do a lot of, I've got a lot in the pipeline. And uh, broadcasting, it's it's sort of like, you know, lots of uh, guest spots on, on radio stations and being experts and stuff like that. And the interesting thing is different radio stations know me for different things. So a, a couple of radio stations know me as a railway person and then another radio stations <laughs> know me for walking. So it, it's nice to be able to have that sort of a kind of dual role because I'm really interested in walking and the outdoors and I'm really interested in transport. They were my two sort of big passions. So it's nice to be able to straddle those two those two fields, really. A bit of both. Yeah. Okay, um, I want to take you right, right back. So you are Doncaster born and bred. Yes. I want to take you back to being nine years old. So this mm. is the point where you kind of fall in love with media, with broadcasting, with communication. Um, what what was it? What was it at nine years old that, that made that happen? Well, I think it, it might have even been a little bit before then because, you know, back in those days, we would had like three channels four channels had just come along sort of thing we were looking at uh, I think really inventive television I think a lot of it was was programs like Swap Shop and Blue Peter who were not afraid to show you the cameras and I used to love that sort of thing of just just seeing behind the scenes and you know Swap Shop would take you into the gallery and they'd show you stuff that happened and I was thinking that is fantastic and there was various little things that they did. They did a, a, a segment once where a competition winner went to London to play with James Galway, the flutist. And he wasn't able to come for some strange reason. He was stuck in, I think it was a, a, some sort of problem, and he was stuck in Dublin. And they explained how they'd got this system where they were going to, you know, they were going to play together, her in London and, and, and him in, in Dublin, and how difficult and complex this is. And I remember thinking, this is amazing. I, I just want to be a part of that sort of thing. And, and, and Noel Edmonds would do that thing with, with Keith Chegwin on the OB. 
and and he'd have a, this, this pretend wire and, and, and there's a big wire going up to Birmingham on the OB with Keith and he'd pull this wire and Keith would obviously move and it, and, and all of that, I just thought, this is out, this, I just want to be doing this kind of stuff and I've always really enjoyed shiny floor shows really, you know, they've been a big passion, I, I, you know, I, I would love to at one day, if I, if, I, if I managed to die having done one of those kind of programmes, <laughs> I would be happy, you know. Um, but I think that's where it's all, all, it's all came from. And just that love, I think also because there was so much good stuff happening here in Yorkshire, you know, you, you'd, you'd turn on the television on, on a Saturday afternoon, Saturday evening, and you'd see 321 coming from Leeds, you know, recorded obviously, but it was, it was from Leeds, it was made in Leeds. And at those days, you know, uh, and, you know, a little bit later, Viking came along, you know, from, from Holland. And even though, it, you know, I've been a Donny lad, Viking made a big play for mm-hmm. the listeners of Doncaster because I think we felt a little bit disenfranchised by Radio Sheffield mm-hmm. and also Hallam being very much yep. Sheffield and Rotherham Central. So they made a big play for us. And and that and I and, and I think that sort of dynamic traditional local radio, independent local radio sound that there was in the sort of eighty six and all of those kinds of stuff was just fantastic. And and all of that I think was just I just want to be doing this. This is just me, you know. And you didn't hang about, did you? Because is it true that you, you made your first film by the age of 11? Yes. Yeah, well, my dad had a cine camera. So uh, a friend of mine and myself, we, we were making cartoons using uh, not, not not actual, you know, flick-type flick, flick type, uh, animation, but, but by, you know, cardboard cutout type mm-hmm. of thing. So we were making films like that. And I was obsessed by... From a very early age, continuity on television. So you know, you, you'd get your, you know, this is Yorkshire Television broadcasting on the Emily Moore transmitters, you know, and all that sort of thing. When when television used to start at nine twenty-five and the like. And when we went to Wales, on my dad had a he had a friend at work who had a, a log cabin just outside Carnarvon, so we used to go there very often. And this was fantastic because this was a completely different style of presentation they had in vision continuity on HTV you know and <laughs> this was this is a, this is amazing this is so different but they used to start up with a film that was uh, a stirring piece of orchest- orchestral music with you know pieces of, uh, of of valleys and famous iconic images of, of Wales in the morning so I thought well I'll, I'll do something like that so we had a, a holiday which was just about going around all the iconic places in North Wales just so I could film, you know, in you know, and this was edited in camera, you know. So I had to decide how long I was going to make that little shot on this, you know, th- the three and a half minute film that you had in on Super Eight. Yeah. So, so this was how, you know, that that kind of thing developed, and 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 from there, I I, I used to buy cassette tapes, blank cassette tapes, and sell them on for a wholesaler and sell them on to kids at school. So I used to, I'd, I'd made enough money to buy a video camera, which was an Amstrad an Amstrad video camera on, on VHSC, uh, and this didn't have a zoom. So in order to make programs with it, you know, like, like football, I thought, oh, I'll, I'll do football. I had to go on the pitch with the camera and run around with it. It was <laughs> not even Sky Sports does that now, you know. So it was like, oh, this was this was fantastic. I progressed up to a, a better camera with, a, with, a, with a, a zoom lens and that. But I was making, when I got to sixth form, I was making... Uh, I devised a couple of game shows, and I was making those in the common room. You know, so so all of this was tangent to my studies. 
you've, you've mentioned a couple of people that you used to enjoy watching on the on the TV. Who else kind of influenced you in those sort of early years of getting into filmmaking? Uh, people like Chuck Jones, actually. You know, uh, the the animator and director of many Warner Brothers uh, for decades. Uh, his cartoons, I think, are masterpieces of actual timing, of story, of, you know, if you want to tell any sort of funny gag, you just want to watch one of his cartoons and you just get that sort of style and that and the sense of timing that, that comes with that. So he has been always a big inspiration, even though really nothing that I've done has ever been funny or intentionally funny, <laughs> intentionally funny. Uh, but just that style of filmmaking, of the setup, you know, and, 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 the, and the pace of something and it being sort of, you know, six minutes and just understanding how that works. So he has, he's been a, a big inspiration. I, I suppose also lots of people behind the scenes, Greg Dyke, somebody like him who was, who's, you know, started out as a program maker and, and sort of rose up to obviously very high management. Uh, the, those sort of people have been, you know, inspirations. Okay, so um, university. Yes. Where did you go? What did you What did you do? I went to Wolverhampton, which perhaps isn't the most well known institution for creating media people, but it was a it was a media course. It was a video production course. When I go back now and I look at what what technology these universities have now, and you think this is fantastic because obviously we can all make stuff now of, of very very high quality on you know without having a computer, we could do it all on our phones and edit the whole thing. And, but I mean, when, back in those days, we were talking about two machine edit suites. So you'd cut, cut, you know, copy from one to another, and you know, crash editing, and the cameras in the studio. There were three cameras in the studio, only two of which you could move, and they were tube cameras. So if you pointed them at the lights too much, they'd burn out, and you'd get told off. So it was, you know, it was very, by today's standards, Heath Robinson. But it was really great to have that sort of restriction, and I think that's where, I think, a lot of people now who are starting now don't kind of understand that restriction that the technology at those days used to put on you and I think that's a good discipline to have you know if you've got edit suites now that have got 99 channels of audio where do you stop you know unlimited channels of audio where do you stop you know I, I know what you mean um, I, I think back to when I used to edit audio on a, a reel-to-reel mm. Uh, and obviously that's just not not heard of now uh, and editing's a lot easier now but it's a different experience i remember when you edit on reel to reel you really feel like physically involved yeah. with the the audio that you you editing and, the, and, and getting the, a good edit and the good edit and the cutting it, of it, it is, isn't that? Yeah. it was such it was so rewarding if yeah. you got it you know the splice just at the right angle so it <laughs> blended so perfectly yeah. and you know nowadays people you know just kind of look back at that and w would think well why would you miss that but but it yeah. was such a different experience wasn't it yeah and i think it sort of empowered you in a different way by actually being more creative if you can just use the technology to gloss over every, any mistake that you've made you know if you can pull a, a shot back because you haven't exposed it properly but you've got all this technology that allows you to do that then you start to stop being that accurate in the first place you know and at the end of the day what it's what comes what comes off the SD card ought to be the best thing that you can do in the first place you shouldn't have to do that much to it that's my view anyway i think you should you should originate it the best quality that you can get i think if the technology allows you to you know do too much to it you be, you might become a bit lazy and i think that's what i I've, I've seen people do you know okay so um 
university, mm. um, you, you graduate. Yes. Um, you mentioned earlier about walks around Britain being kind of what you're known for now. Um, tell us about kind of the, the, the process of, of leading up to walks around Britain becoming a thing. Well, I started walking a lot in around uni- the time of university. We used to do, uh, a group of friends of us of ours used to go and do pub crawls along the canals in the, in the black country. And it was like, you know, this is quite nice, actually. You know, and, and actually it started, I mean, I've never been a big drinker, so that, that it was the socialness, really, of, of, of walking mm-hmm. and being together with other people that I enjoyed more than actual drinking at the other end, you know. And I just thought, well, this is quite nice. I, very, I really did enjoy that. And the, the stuff that you saw when you're going out walking that you wouldn't discover if you were on you know, public transport or you know, driving or whatever, uh, and I think that must have been the seeds that were sown at, at that sort of time, and it sort of took a long time to grow, but it was it was there from from that experience. Um, when I left university, I went to I did I freelanced at various places. I did a job in Rome. I went to Rome uh, to work for a, a satellite TV company who was broadcasting to the Middle East. That was an interesting experience. Uh, and then when I came back, I went to Sheffield to do a what I wanted, what was going to be a, a postgraduate diploma in uh, fiction producing. Uh, but when I got there, it turned out that I was I was there thinking that I might not be good enough to be on this course. And then when I realised the sort of people that were there already who hadn't done any kind of work at all, and and and, and you sort of actually they're here because they're paying kind of thing as opposed to that's why they've been allowed on the course sort of thing so I thought well I'll only do I'm only going to do a little bit of this and then I, I went off and, and that's when I started my own, my own business up. Uh, one of the things that I really love about um, Walks Around Britain is is the name yeah. because it just tells you it doesn't, <laughs> yeah. it doesn't matter whether it's TV form yeah. or written form you know exactly what it is that you're getting into um, was was that ever in doubt did you have other kind of uh, brand names that you considered right right back at the beginning? No, because well, it was the original. It was the it was the go-to name. I mean, you know, it's the Ron Seal. It does exactly what it says on the tin, isn't it? You know, and I think if you can have something like that, I think, like you say, you know what you're going to get. You can't watch that. You see that in the EPG or 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 anything on on a magazine or whatever, and be in any doubt what you're going to get. You know, so if you like if you like that kind of thing, that's great. If you don't like it, you you you, you switch over. That's brilliant. But that's what I think that lack of ambiguity. Um, uh, is what you need. So uh, basically what I did was I typed it into a search engine and when it wasn't taken, I thought, well, that's got to be it, hasn't it? Mm-hmm. Now, the, the downside to it was that, and I think it's even the case today, that it's too long for Twitter. Right. So the Twitter handle had to be Walks Britain. So the Facebook handle was the same. So it, it's so that's that's the only sort of downside to that element of the branding, really. But the, the but the great thing is that unlike other other similar sort of multimedia walking brands that there are out there, the everything is the same. So the TV series, the website, you know, social media, apart from the little <laughs> little bit of missing around, but you know everything is is on brand it's the same brand going the way through so you kind of you know the the extensions that can come from it are, are, are quite easy to recognize 
Um, Andrew, you're you're quite a rare breed in terms of how hands-on you are with with your with your show, because um, you don't just rock up and read through the script and and, and do <laughs> it. You know, you're 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 really involved in terms of producing it, editing it. You play a, a, a really big role in the in the whole thing. Yeah, it's. I think it's interesting that you get a lot of presenters who do just turn up, uh, and that you know they'll they'll go to a shoot, they'll turn up, they'll they'll get a, a sheet saying they'll might even read the sheet. On the, in the on the journey, you know, the, in the cars that's sent to take them to where they're going, and then they don't communicate with the people that they're with. And I've heard this because I know contributors who've been on various programs. There are good people and there are bad people on on this kind of thing. And I thought, well, I don't want to do that, but I also want to make it so that when I did a lot of research for the TV series, lots of people said that they thought. That the, that the presenter, the celebrity presenters, didn't walk it. They believed right. that they just did a little bit, got in a car and went somewhere else. Now there are times when I have to do that because of timing purposes, of but I don't. But I, but I've researched that route. I've actually walked it. I've walked that route first, so I know what's on it. Now I think that's very important because I don't know whether it comes over on the TV series, but I, but. I know in my own head that I've done it. So I can write the commentary, I can write the script for the narration because I've done that as opposed to relying on a researcher in law to actually you know, tell me what these things are and what's important. And I'm really also very keen on making sure that everybody understands what's on the walk because there are a lot... I've seen other programmes where they take you to the top of a mountain... But in the time that they've factored in to how long it takes you to get there, they haven't factored in the time to come back. So if you've lost anybody who's a walker, they're probably at the top of this mountain because right. yeah, they don't know how to get back. Yeah. You know, and I just think, I, I couldn't sleep at night if I've sent somebody you know, on, on a route that they don't know without giving them adequate ways of coming back. So I just thought, well, this is the way that I want to do it. You know, and, and we have very much... On the programme, we have a lot of different rules as well. We, we TV is very, very... There's lots of programmes that that sort of navel-gaze and they, and they use their own fame for different ends. So we don't do anything on the programme that the viewer can't do. So if, it's, if there's a big tower somewhere on the walk, we don't do... Do you know what? Uh, and just because... I'm famous and I'm on television. I'm going to get up there. But you know what? You can't do that. And there's loads of TV that does that. And that's great because if you if you do it in a certain way and you're giving you know privileged access, then it gives the viewer privileged access. Mm -hmm. But because what we're trying to do in the see in the series is to actually get you to get off the chair and go and do this walk. If I show you something that you can't do, then that's that. Yeah, Yabu sucks to you then. And I don't want to do that. What I want to do is to so. You can do everything I do. Everything the presenter does on Walks Around Britain, you can do that. And I think that makes it a different relationship with the viewer, with the audience. I think also we, we, we try to have the camera mainly behind the, the presenters so that the, the presenter talks back to the camera and leads them almost like a, you know, having a hand to hold, a, a friend bringing, the, bringing you across, bringing you along the walk as well. What we don't get a lot of other series have long shots and of, of the presenter walking up and they'll say something along the lines of, look at that view. 
and then you cut to the view. And I think that shows, that to me gives the sort of, it's a superiority thing of the presenter then, because the, the presenter tells you when you can look at it, if you see what I mean. Yeah. So if you're taking most of the shots from behind, you're seeing what the presenter sees, yeah. and it gives you, a, it brings you more into the programme. And I think that this is what we do, it's, it's different. I'm not saying that any other way of going about it is wrong. People can do their own thing, and there's, you know, it's wide enough to, to have a, a big market. But what we want to do is is different. We want to stop you instead of sitting on the settee and going, "Well, that's that was good," and turning over. I want to get you so you go, "Do you know what? I want to do that. I want to go to that place." Or if nothing else, do you fancy going for a walk on the weekend? That's what we want to do. And if we can inspire people to do that, I think it's it's worked. I guess you must have had some some really good feedback from people that have, that have done just that, that have maybe never even been for a walk before and been inspired to to do it, um, and are now out every weekend or or something. I, I guess that that must be a really rewarding part of it when you get that kind of feedback from people. It is, yeah, and it, and it's nice to see that because of the interaction on social media and because we're talking on Twitter and on Facebook and on Instagram, you can talk directly to the audience. We watched your program. We went out and did this walk. Here's some photos. That's fantastic. Thanks very much for sharing. Did you go to the so and so? Yes, we did. We went there and we saw. You know, so you can talk to the audience, and I think that's something completely different as well. Because, you know, telly traditionally has been, we do this, you watch it, and if you want to talk to us, send it to right to reply or mm-hmm. to you know points of view, isn't it? You know, we don't want to know what you think because we're making it anyway. And that's kind of been television's relationship with its audience. And what we can do is actually say, you you know, walks that we've done have been suggested by people on Facebook, you know, which has been brilliant because it's like, you know, that walk that you suggested, we're doing, we're filming it next week. And that gives the viewer an investment into the programme that I think I, I rarely see anywhere else. It's great. What kind of a healthy relationship that that you and that the the show has with with its its audience, and um, I guess in a lot of ways, perhaps a little bit of a a, a rarity um, in 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 kind of you know this this day and age of kind of you know the celebrity and and and, and showbiz people who are often seen as being a little bit out of touch with kind of the the, the rest of the world. Um, what what do you kind of make generally speaking of of the media world in twenty nineteen? I think it's interesting. There's, it's always changing, and I think that there's going to be, you know, we, we're seeing now the collapse almost of the, the 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 scheduled broadcasters for anybody under the age of thirty, you know, and and this 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 concept of being able to get what I want whenever I want it, wherever I want it is something that traditional linear broadcasters, be it radio or television, have struggled with. You know, it's I find it interesting that we're now talking about BritBox, the, the combination between the streaming service between ITV and the BBC, coming uh, starting up in, in the UK, as a, as a, a complement, I suppose, to, to, to Netflix, but not a rival. But, uh, you know, we were doing that, back in 2009 or something it was you know the, the, this idea of project kangaroo and, and and that the idea that 
BBC and ITV and Channel 4 were coming together to do something back there, and it was stopped on com- on competition grounds. And you look at that and you think, that's a stupid decision, is it? <laughs> you know, and it's, uh, they say, well, we, you know, we can't have foreseen. I think we, we should have people who can foresee these kinds of things, you know. And, and regulators, I think, generally are, are caught napping when technology allows a company to do something. And, of course, nowadays it's, it's not necessarily companies in the UK that are pushing the agenda. You know, we, we're seeing, when you're looking at Netflix, yes, they, might be, they may be making things here, but they're making things here which speak to a, a worldwide audience. It doesn't speak to a British audience particularly, you know, specifically. You know, and a lot of our programmes so, uh, sell abroad because they have that British tone. Because it's actually something that, that, that the rest of the world are, are interested in seeing and, and hearing. So I think that we have to come to a, a way of working so that we're probably now going to into a turn into a way where... We're not competing. It's not the the BBC or the I, or ITV competing against each other. It's you know, it's the UK competing against the rest of the world. Mm. And we've got to come to some way of working so that these combinations, because we're minnows when it comes to obviously we've had Sky being bought by uh, NBC Comcast. You know, that's a huge company because it's it's all it's all you know we we tend to think of Sky being this UK thing. And especially somebody like me who who remembers the 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 start of Sky, you know, and it's really sort of fledgling operation where you sort of think this is a bit naff, this into you know sale of the century and 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 and, and Keith Chegwin's start Sky Star Search, which was a bit of a naff program really, but you sort of think of all those things and you think, well, this is you know it's a huge operation, and and for them to buy it, it's not going to be that long before there's a big a big bid for ITV. So I think we've we've got to be careful about who owns our producers and who owns our broadcasters because we've got to keep a, a, a UK voice. And I think even those, even the people who don't think that that's important, I think you've got to get to a point where you're making programmes for the country that you're in. You know, I mean, Walks Around Britain is by no means is you know international or anything but it, it's it's watched in new zealand it's watched in australia there's several uh, tv networks in in america that have it and it's you know on amazon prime you know three quarters of the viewers are in the us as opposed to the uk so it's interesting to see you know that, that they're never going to do the walks although having said that i did i was on the top of mam tour in the peak district several years ago and there's this couple were sort of making a beeline towards me. They said, "Are you Andrew White?" And I said, "Yes." And I won't do their accent because that's a <laughs> I don't I don't do accents. <laughs> but they said, uh, "We watch your program in Texas." Wow! And we've come to the UK for a holiday on the basis of watching your program. Wow! And they and they met me there on the top of this you know on on top of this you know hill, and you sort of think. If you're thinking about the way that these things work, you know, sort of coincidences or the sliding door aspect of life, had I have not done that that day or taken slightly longer to walk up or they decided to go slightly early, we wouldn't have had that meeting. But, you know, that was amazing to see that they'd come all this way. Just that inspiration to, to, to sort of connect and you don't know where viewers are. And that's the great thing about the, the media world now is that Anyone could be watching it right now, right this very second, and, and that's that's fantastic. 
I love that. What a magical moment that that must have been. What a... yeah, and and I enjoyed it because obviously it, it it says that people enjoy it, and you know there's a bit of it where you know so oh that's excellent you know thank you, but just to be able to so to to connect to people and and to and to to have something, it's not it's not contentious television. You know, it's a nice watch, and even if you don't ever do any walks, what I try to do is tell a story. And each of the walk is a story. It's a story of that area. It's a story of the heritage or the history or, or whatever, the nature. But it's all about trying to, you know, have half an hour of just interesting television that educates and hopefully entertains as well, you know. So it's not as if you, you watch it and go, you know, I'm outraged by this, you know. I mean, there have been some interesting comments on, on Amazon uh, where people say that, you know, I think because of my desire to have the, lots of the shots taken from the back of the presenter there was a comment on amazon that said you know perfect if you want to see uh lots of shots of the presenter's butt you know <laughs> and you think well that's not exactly what i'm intending you know you know it's not butts around britain you know we don't want to be doing that but it's just so it's about trying to get different people to understand that the more that you do uh, I think you can you can hopefully inspire people to to go out and do stuff. And even if you know people who are never going to ever come to this country, you know if they just decide that they're going to go out and do a walk around the local park or whatever, then that you know that's brilliant. Um, obviously, walks around Britain is is um, I would say hugely successful. Um, you're a guy that's had a, a, a successful career. Um, is there any kind of any one thing that you sort of look back on and sort of pinpoint as being the moment that um, everything just kind of fell into place for you? Nothing turns out how you think it's going to turn out. I'm not saying it's an accident that how things have happened because it isn't. The actuality has never been quite the plan. It was never supposed to be doing this at all because I was making programmes about transport for other people who used to release them on DVD. And then when Woolworths collapsed... And, you know, those people were commissioning me to make programmes that they'd put onto DVD and they'd sell in places like Woolworths. And then YouTube came along, which meant that if you, you know, anybody could go out and film a train and put it on YouTube and get 30,000 views, they weren't buying DVDs anymore. So the way that the market changes, the way that technology changes, meant that that then was that business model wasn't open so i had to try and find something else to do and it was that thing of well i enjoy walking and i don't see that there is anything similar to what i want to do because you know my my thing is walks on britain's always between two to eight miles so the idea was to make it so that people actually were encouraged to go walking and i think lots of other tv series were sort of took it for red that you already go walking and therefore, the shorter walks you wouldn't be interested in. It's almost like there's a, you know, you, if you're not already in the club, you can't be in the club. Mm-hmm. And I wanted everybody to be in that club. So I suppose, again, that is that sort of opportune moment of just thinking, right, well, that's what I'll do. And, and it started out as a website, and then the television series came later. And a lot of people think, oh, because it's not been commissioned by anybody, I can't do it. But there's no reason why you can't do it now. You know, the gear is available to us. You know, you can't, you just don't hide behind that thing of, well, no one's paying me to do it, so I can't do it. If you want to be a writer, go and go out and write. If you want to be a filmmaker, grab your phone, 
be a filmmaker. You know, there's too many people that I know, I hear of and I talk to or talk to me and say, I want to be a filmmaker. What do I do? You shouldn't even be talking to me about how to be a filmmaker. You can do it now. You know, in, the, in my day, you had to have the equipment. We've all got the equipment. It's in your hand there. You've got it. You can do it, you know, and you can put it on your computer and you can edit. And that's going to be good enough for web broadcasting. You know, you can do that and you can make a name and you can have a concept and you can take it further. You just go out and do it. I think that's a problem. Is, is that the the piece of advice that you'd give to maybe someone that's even still at school now that, that kind of, you know, looks at media, whether it's radio, TV, even writing or whatever, and thinking, I want to get into that? Is, yeah. is, is the best advice, just, just do it? Yeah, because I had, I suppose at the age of sort of 14, I was doing a radio station at home, two record decks, the Tandy Mixer, you know, and we were doing you know, Armthorpe Radio. And and that's what it was. And we'd have jing we were having jingles that played on, on tape, you know, and you can do that. You can do that now and you can broadcast it, you know, yeah. and it can be live and you can do that around the world. You don't have to wait for somebody to give you the permission to go and do it. You can do it yourself now. And and that's what I think is is brilliant and scary at the same time now. Because everybody can do it. So you have to have that sort of a really big desire and a, and a great amount of talent now because literally anyone can do it now. Um, I've got some kind of um, job interview style uh, quickfire questions. Okay, all right, yes. Um, so what do you look back as being your, your biggest achievement, proudest moment? Proudest moment to date, I suppose, was seeing the very first time that Walks Home Britain was transmitted on the nine o'clock 22nd of january 2016 on community channel and having the announcer say you know new series walks around britain and seeing it come on that was nice and special and a, and a lot of hard work had gone up obviously up to that point but you know to see it in the epg you know you could go to sky and you could put it in your own planet you know so i'd yeah. record my own program on sky plan <laughs> Yeah, and you think, well, yeah. So I think that's probably it for now. Do you still have a copy of that? Oh yes, yeah. They're they're on they're on lock on, on, on <laughs> Sky. <laughs> so that box taking, never breaks. Taking up on, <laughs> taking up so much room on the planet. Um, what about embarrassing moments? I'm kind of thinking, you know, slipping in a cow pat and it ending up oh, on the well, room floor. Oh well, yes. And... Well, uh, the most embarrassing moment, I suppose, was I was doing a podcast interview on the Isle of Man in this nature reserve and I was interviewing a very knowledgeable chap who knows everything about everything uh, about wildlife in this particular area and this was a, a so I'm, I'm walking along I've got the pot I've got the the, the the microphone and the recorder and I'm concentrating on you know giving giving him a good enough good interview good good questions to to get the best out of this opportunity and uh we were talking about uh, some some of the areas here are, are a bit boggy, and and you know and there's and some great bog bog areas around here, and that's brilliant for wildlife, and they need to be left alone and not disturbed. And I go and fall in one, <laughs> so I'm there, and and literally, you know, you, you hear stories about BBC cameramen who have been trained to, uh, when they fall fall down or something, to lift the camera up in the air, you know, to keep, to protect the camera at all cost, and that's what I did with this recorder. So I'm sort of Lugging, lugging into this bog, and my sort of like a 
King Arthur's sword of this with this you know portable recorder sticking up in the air, you know protect the recorder at all costs, you know. Uh, and there's a you know there's a, a, a really nice photograph of me covered in this in this bog material uh, wow. and uh, that you know that was a huge logistical operation because i i had to get the my the, the person who was looking after me on that trip she then had to get all my gear washed because i had to then do a second part of a of a, of a walk filming another day because i had to i had to stop filming for this walk because the weather turned inclement so i had to go back and film the second part of it so i had to have the very gear that i was in this <laughs> bogging so she had to wash all this gear for me in right. record time so it was like you know the logistics of this on it's a nightmare <laughs> so that was yeah that was pretty embarrassing any um any regrets as you look back uh i don't think so i often wonder if i'd have had because i don't come from a, a media family there's no connection with media okay and I often wonder, you know, when you see statistics, oh, there was one the other day that said you're 12 times more likely to get into media if you've got relations wow. in media. And of course, now that I look at those sorts of things, you think, well, of course, because the amount of people who, who know who know other people who know other people and yeah. that and, and the nepotism and all that kind of stuff that goes off and you think... Yeah, you see, that's where I failed, really, by not being born into a family of, you know, I should have had, you know, it should have been Andrew Grade, shouldn't it? As first, as, you know, so I think I often do wonder if, if I'd have managed, you know, where would I have gone, got to if I'd have had a dad who was, yeah. or a mum who was a presenter or something like that, who could have just opened those doors, mm -hmm. you know. I mean, my daughter, my eldest daughter, uh, Alana, she's a, uh, you know, a member of the youth parliament and for Doncaster and a, a, a Doncaster youth council. And the interesting thing is, if if she decided that it's just for the, because she doesn't know what she wants to do yet, totally. But if she decided, for example, that she wanted to get into being a political correspondent, you know, I could put her in 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 touch with a few people. She a talent would have to do it. You know. Yeah do the whole thing obviously but that initial contacts which is what we need to get on isn't it i could put in touch with a few people but nobody was able to do that for me you know and i think that's so it's not hard cheese or deep regrets or anything but i just wonder you know that sort of sliding doors thing of just thinking what what would have happened if you know, if I'd have been able to have gone down to London and just busked it for a while and just, you know, see if I could have just... Because mm. you often hear stories, don't you, of people mm. just turning up at at doors and just getting there at the right time. Yeah, yeah. You don't get there at the right time if you're just in Doncaster all the time, I think, you know. And what about the future, then? Uh, well, we do, we, we're, we're, we're filming more Walks Around Britain. We The... The great thing about it at the moment is it's a syndicated series, so there's lots of channels that, that broadcast it, and they all pay a little bit in order to into the pot to give a, a fund that makes the program, and it's also funded by product placement. So people, advertisers who make outdoor kit, can pay to be in it. You see, that's how it works. But there's uh, we're talking to a few broadcasters about uh, larger broadcasters about taking it. There's also a possibility of uh, a few streaming, other streaming services being interested in it as well, that we're talking to them as well. Uh, we've got a couple of other programmes that are in the mix as well, including one about uh, walks in more 
wild areas of Britain. So it's mainly in the outdoor sort of field, but also the the, the brand of walks around Britain is 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 great for brand extensions as well. Mm. So there's, you know, when you've got something that people know, you can then push that out to other things as well. So completely outside of the media thing, but it, but or, but inside the outdoors <laughs> area. You know, there are, there are some things that we're talking to with various different companies, some clothing as well at the moment. So they're the things that we're working on at the moment. Exciting times to come. Hope so. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> Andrew, thank you very much for your time. Um, if anyone wants to find out more about you or fire any of their own questions at you, what's uh, what's the best way for people to uh, Well, my, my, my website is uh, andrew-white.co.uk because Andrew White's a very popular name. <laughs> and Andrew White... .co.uk has already taken so the dash is very important to get through <laughs> to me so uh, so andrew-white.co.uk oh, well twitter is probably the best one I'm, I'm always on twitter so andrew r white on twitter andrew thanks so much for your time it's been great to oh, uh, to hear Thank more you. about walks around britain and uh, i think i'm going to get out this weekend and go and find a box to have a swim in that would be fantastic take some photos <laughs> brilliant thank you <laughs> It was great to chat to Andrew and to hear about how he's grown the brand of Walks Around Britain. I think I'd better get my boots on and head out for a bit of a stroll. We've got plenty more guests lined up on Behind the Mic as we explore the media world in the 21st century. Hit the subscribe button to get new episodes as they're released. If you'd like to suggest a guest or get in contact with me for any reason, head to j.media, that's j-a-e dot media, and speak to you next time. <laughs>